right? You know, one of the, the great God's servants. Uh, he said that a healthy church is not defined by its seating capacity, but it is defined by its sending capacity. And I kind of add somewhere in between, I said, a healthy church is not defined by its seating capacity, nor by its spending capacity, <laughs> but it's by its sending capacity. So I praise God for that. But let's not also forget one thing. We will be all sent back to where we come from in terms of our home, our families, and our office tomorrow. So may God be with you and bless you as He will bless the short-term mission team. The passage that we read today uh, This one here, right? Yeah, it's on. The passage that we read today is a little bit different in terms of the version. I think we chose the same version. But the word manager was translated as steward. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then the next one, uh, it's uh, pretty clear in terms of what Paul is talking about, that he's being entrusted with this sense of stewardship. Today we continue our series on Christian identity. You remember, perhaps, that... We started this series back in February this year. And we asked ourselves the question, who am I? Who am I? And the obvious question, so the obvious answer is our faith identity. We are, we are Christian. I am a Christian. But then again, it kind of back the question, what, what is a Christian really? Right? What is a Christian? And I said that we have six aspects as far as our Christian identity is concerned. Earlier on, and, and I thank you for leading the song about we being the child of God, because first and foremost, we are beloved children of God. We are beloved sons and daughters of God. We talked about it back in February when we started the series. And then we followed it by talking about us being lifelong learners. We must learn and take deeper and deeper into the Word of God and learn from Jesus and how we must follow Him. Today, we're going to talk about another aspect of our identity, faithful stewards. And then later on in the year, hopefully when I come back, I'll talk about us being humble servants, courageous witness, and royal priesthood. So our today's focus is this, that we as Christians must be faithful stewards. In this day and age, uh, you know, sometime, not sometime, many a time when my older daughter came home, in a, in a good day, you know, she, she yelled at me a little bit, you know, YOLO, YOLO, you know, like I mean, we only live once. Right? We, we tend to put a lot of emphasis on ourselves. It's all about me, it's all about us. 
We focus on ourselves. We focus on what we want to do, what our desires are. We tend to think about what we want to build up, our own wealth, material wealth, emotional wealth. And we kind of love to, we love to hoard, we love to buy things. I came across this article not long ago. It's actually last week on July the 13th. Good Mail talks about, this article talks about a study that says the average Canadian buys 70 new pieces of clothing each year. Really? I don't buy two. <laughs> I don't know whether part of the average or not. But it goes on to say the 60 of them will wind up in the, in the landfill. We love to hoard things. We love to buy things. Not only that, we love to boast of our possessions. These days, I begin to come across this type of stickers. Now, let me explain. This is Chinese, obviously. Let me explain. The Chinese said, Mai Chao Yong, for shopping purposes. This, is, this card is for shopping. <laughs> and it kind of made me think, really? Does it mean that the owner of the car has another car for schooling? Because I saw that too. Xiong Hao Yong, for school. And I saw another car, Xiong Ban Yong, for my work. <laughs> like we like to boast our position in terms of what we own. A few months ago when I was in, the, when I was in the Richmond, B.C., I had a, a little chat, a sort of coffee time with a minister at a local McDonald's. After chatting, I stepped out of the McDonald's and I go like, what? <laughs> there was a nice Rolls Royce that parked right next to my rental. And out come two individuals, a younger guy, a younger guy walked out of the passenger seat. And then there's an older gentleman, right, dressed somewhat interestingly, walked out of the sofa seat. And you can kind of guess that the older guy is actually not only the sofa, but he's a security guy, right? Trying to make sure that the younger guy do not do anything funny. But really, like, I mean, you have to show off like that? Well, you know, not long ago, you know, we, we, we saw something like that as well, in, the, in Markham, uh, a young Chinese gentleman was kidnapped. And from the press, you can see that he owned a few nice cars, right? One of them is, you know, Ferrari, right? I mean, no wonder. We like to show off what we own. So speaking our identity as steward or stewardship is kind of counterintuitive. We kind of ask the fundamental question, what? is stewardship. What is stewardship? Let's try to understand this concept from the perspective of what it is not. What it is not. Stewardship is not plain and simple. Ownership and entitlement. Stewardship is not ownership and entitlement. Very clearly, the Bible tells us what we have is not our own at the end of the day. What we have is not our own. From my perspective, the most clear biblical statement about stewardship, not being ownership, comes from Joshua chapter 24, verses 11 to 13. 
If you know the book of Joshua, and I'm sure you guys all know about the book of Joshua, not only from Sunday school, from your daily devotion, from preaching, and so on and so forth, you know that Joshua is about how God is leading or has led Israelite into the promised land to capture Canaan, to allow the Israelite to have a place for them to settle in and settle down. To illustrate once and for all, God is indeed faithful. Faithful in His promise in terms of what He promised Abraham and Moses that they would be able to conquer the Canaanites. Towards the very end of it, God reminded them one more time. The fact that they could conquer the Canaanites does not come from their own strength. The fact that now they have come to occupy the land has no merit of their own, but God's. In these three verses, you can see four times the phrase repeats itself. Four times the phrase, you did not. You did not do it with your sword. A land you did not toil and cities you did not build. And olive groves you did not plant. These you now have are not yours, nor are what you were entitled to have. It is out of grace of God and His abundant love and faithfulness you have come to stay in this place. It is not about you. It is about God. Very, very challenging. In fact, I would, if I were Joshua, I would have written up a celebratory ending, right? I mean, we now conquer the land. We now settle in, begin to settle in and settle down. But God reminded them, you did not. It's not about you. It's not out of your ability. But what is stewardship then if it is not ownership, not possession? Simply put, stewardship is about entrust, being entrusted with responsibility. We read early on in the Luke 16, we are entrusted with responsibility. Therefore, one of these days, we will be asked to give an account. We will be asked to give an account. The earliest example we can glean from the Bible is the very first order that God gave to Adam. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to take care of it. See, God hooked and placed Adam there and gave him a very clear purpose to fulfill and to be responsible for, to work it and to take care of it. In other words, from a divine or spiritual perspective, we don't own our lives. It is a gift from God. We don't own our health. And of all people, I know that as a two-time cancer survivor. It is a gift of God. And we don't own our possessions. They are gift of God. Our responsibility is to work it and to take care of it. To sum up, here's the difference 
or differences between stewardship and ownership. Ownership talks about the act, the state, and the right of possessing something, and it means that I am in charge. However, stewardship talks about the responsibility of supervising or taking care of something, and it means I've been put in charge. Not I'm in charge, but I've been put in charge. If that is the case, then it kind of begs the question, what are we put in charge of? What are we put in charge of? A simple way to answer this question is to use the letter T. There are, in some, in some discussion, there are actually five T, but today, because of time, I'm going to give you three. Right? We are put in times of time, talent, and treasure, the other two T. The other two T, temple, our body, and tribes, our relationship. Today, we're going to focus on the first three T. Let's first take a look at time. Let's take a look at time. Time is the only currency we have. That once we spend it, it won't come back or be substitute. I think Steve Jobs kind of got it right. I'm sorry about the word being small. He said that it's really clear that the most precious resource we all have is time. You see, if you lose money, you may be able to gain it back or earn it back through your investment or your employment and so on. If you lose your car, you know, because of accident or got stolen, you can buy another one. But if you lose your time, if you lose your time, you can substitute it. You can get it back. Take, talk, take, talk. Here we go. Few seconds lost. Few seconds lost. So it kind of behooves us that we need to spend our time in a most purposeful way. You see, I can argue that how you spend your time reflects how you lead your life. Is your life purpose-driven? Is your life focus-led? Or is your life just simply a random pursuit? Or who are you hanging out with? Is your will built upon Cyberspace or spiritual space? What about relationship? Is your relationship cemented with your own interest or God's? You know, you heard about these days we're very busy. So when we spend time with a loved one, we, we tell them, hey, let's spend some quality time. Quality time, right? These are fundamental elements of leading a fulfilling life. This kind of reminds me of a story of a, a multi-billionaire, true story. He was diagnosed with a terminal disease. And then a friend of his asked him, he said, if there were one thing in your life, he said, that you would do it again and do it better to relive your life, what might that be? What might that be? He answered, I wanted to spend more time with my family. He didn't say, I want to spend more time in making more money. He didn't say, I want to spend more time in expanding my empire. He didn't say, I want to spend more time in piling up or building up my possessions. But he said, I would, I would, I would have spent more time with my family. What is our time management plan? How do we deal with our work? 
How do we deal with our family? But importantly, how do we deal with our time with God? Not only one-on-one with God in our Sabbath, but the kind of time of spending in terms of serving the Lord as well. In my study, it's really clear. One of the reasons reason why people have left the church as far as local born Chinese uh, Canadian Christian is they talk about the word priority, and my priority has changed. One lady said, because my life is now so different and so busy, I haven't made it a priority, and I haven't found the time to go back to church and go back to God. And we just get busy. We, meaning me and my husband, and by the way, she lived with a non-Catholic common law relationship, not non-good, non-believing, a non-believer, uh, a common law uh, uh, kind of a, a gentleman, he said, we, we now get busy with a lot of other things. We're usually away on the weekends and it has been a back burner thing for us to go back to church. We're only, we only given 24 hours a day. No matter you are rich or you're poor, no matter whether you're healthy or not, what is our priority? How do we spend our time? Second T. First T is we put in charge of our time. Second T is we put in charge of our talent. At the very first glance, talent is simply the kind of the skills, the competencies, or the things that we are good at, our specialties. That's our talent. We are all familiar with this story in Matthew chapter 25. The story of the stewards that Jesus talked about. There are three different stewards or three servants. Each one is given some talents to manage. Of course, in the good old days, in the Roman Empire, the term talent is also the currency, just like the U.S. dollars, the Chinese yen, and so on and so forth. 5,000, 2,000, and 1,000. We can understand that talent is not only money per se, but also our resources to manage. God's given us to work it and to take good care of it for the sake of His kingdom and for the sake of His glory. In this particular episode, Jesus clearly distinguished two types of servants, two types of stewards. The first one he called Gaffic. I talk about it a little bit. Good and faithful in Christ. The 5,000 and the 2,000, they find a way to multiply it. They find a way to double it. They find a way to increase it in such a way for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of His kingdom. But voila, there is the second type of steward when it comes to managing talent. And that has something to do with the term Wallet, if I can call it that way. I hope I got it, I got it right in pronouncing it. W-A-L-I-C. The Bible said the last one who was given a thousand, he was called a wicked and lazy servant. We all want to be graphic. We don't want to be wallet. We don't want to be like the wallet guys. You know, hey Lord, I know you have, so what you've given me, I dig a hole in the ground and bury it. Not going to use it because one day when you come back, you're going to ask me for it. 
Just wasting your talents. Just wasting your talents. A good example that I used before, and I'm going to repeat again, of being graphic is this gentleman. How many of you have this Bible app? A lot of you have Bible app. Bible app was invented by this gentleman, Bobby Gunningwell. I hope I got it right. I said this one before. He's a, he's a, you know, use your language. He's pretty lit. Because before he graduated from college, he sold not one. He sold two startups. He sold two startups. But he had a heart to serve the Lord. After he graduated from college, he sold two startups. He became a pastor in the local church. And as he was getting into the ministry, he began to get frustrated. Part of it is because he was smarter than the other guys. Duh. <laughs> he sold two startups. And it became, again in your language, pretty salty, pretty frustrated. And he wanted to he wanted to quit. He wanted to go back to business. You know, if, if, if you look at him, that's, that's okay because that's really his second nature, doing business. Being a startup kind of a guy is very, very smart, pretty lit. But he decided to stay put and listen to God, to be faithful, to be good. And then along the way, he found a new version. And the rest, as they say, is history. Some even argue that the Bible at you version is the biggest invention since the distribution of the printing press. Since the printing of the Bible, you version is the biggest force behind distributing the Word of God in the world. You see, Bobby did all this by devoting his talents to the Lord. His gifting, according to human nature, could be used to gain money. But no, he stayed put. His gifting was used for the sake of God's kingdom when he could have easily used that to create a lot of wealth for himself. The moral of the story, what is your gifting for? Your prosperity or for God's kingdom? So the first T is time. Second T is talents. The third T we put in charge is our treasure. Is our treasure. There's a, another, another passage from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Kind of a warning about how we must not mistreat the treasure that we accrued. God said through Moses, he kind of anticipated, hey guys, I know when you get into Canaan, when you occupy the land and begin to settle in and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is now multiply, and then your heart, what? Will become, will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Again, it is not ours, but the Lord's. 
It doesn't mean, though, that we cannot uh, accumulate wealth. It doesn't mean that wealth is unspiritual. Um, you know, your good friend, my good friend, Dennis Yen, used to say to me, Enoch, money is not seen. But greed for money is sinful. <laughs> we can take a lesson from this gentleman, John Wellesley. We all know John Wellesley. One of the greatest revivalists in the history of Christianity. In a sermon on stewardship, John Wellesley said the following. He said, when a man becomes a Christian, he becomes industrious, trustworthy, and prosperous. Now, you've got to understand John Wellesley's audience at the time. Right? He, he saw a lot of people who were poor, who were minors, who were struggling in their lives. People would label these people as lazy, not wicked, but lazy. They're not working hard enough to earn their living. John said, when a man becomes a Christian, he becomes industrious. He now has a purpose to work hard, trustworthy and prosperous. Now, if that man, when he gets all he can and saves all he can, does not give all he can, I have more hope. For Judas is carried than for that man. Let me repeat his mantra. Earn all you can. Save all you can. But give all you can. Stewardship in treasure calls in a deep recognition that if there is any way we can accumulate wealth, it is not ours to keep. A good example is this gentleman, Stephen Wong. By the way, it's not his real name. I just want to make sure that if you happen to be a Stephen Wong, my apology. Three weeks ago, I went to Winnipeg. And I was doing my research tour. Spoken on two occasions. And a sermon. After the sermon, a small group of church leaders took me to uh, Vietnamese noodle fur or fur. I hope I got it right too. have to be very careful. My younger daughter is going to marry a Vietnamese Canadian, so I, I, I better get it right. If I don't, I'm going to get an earful, and I need to take out my, my earplug too So when I get my earful. So I met this gentleman. Uh, as part of a small group, we were talking about you know, uh, my work and so on. Three minutes into the, uh, into the conversation, three minutes into the conversation, totally without any prompting, he asked me this question, do you need any support? Do you need any support? You see, Stephen is actually a surgeon. So I can tell he's not like kind of a, a low sort of level in the social, social stratum. But his question tells me about his character, tells me about his values, and tells me about his passion. There is in him a great and clear recognition that his treasure is not his, but the Lord's, and he's entrusted to manage it. It is the same with us. We may not be asked to maximize or double it, but we are certainly asked to spend it and give it for the purpose of the kingdom and the purpose of his gospel. In many respects, that is the issue of 
This rich man in the Lucan parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. You see, the story in this particular parable goes like this. That, that <clears throat> Jesus talked about the rich man after he accumulated his wealth. He said to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, or to paraphrase what my, my daughter would say to me, you stupid, right? this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will, let what you have, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And that's why before Jesus said of the story, he said this. He said, watch over, so watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. When it comes to treasure, Winston Churchill said it well. We make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we get. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we get. To summarize, stewardship calls us to put our time, our talent, our treasure in good use. We are put in here to work it and to take care of it for the sake of God's kingdom. Practical way, how do we set time for having that fellowship, for building that intimate relationship with God? How do we use our treasure to contribute to the advancement of God's kingdom? And how do we use our gift, our skills, our competency, our specialty to build up the church of God, the body of Christ. In closing, are you willing and ready to be a faithful steward? Let us pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come before you And once again, to think about who we are. We are children of God. We are lifelong learners, but we also are faithful stewards. Help us, Lord, to lead a life that is not necessarily abundant in material wealth, but rather abundant in spiritual wealth. Help us to lead a life that would be faithful and useful for your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please rise as we sing response.
standing for doxology. Praise God from whom all 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and empowerment of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. Please be seated.